Hi, this is Pastor Daniel Bracken. You're listening to Kings Alaska podcast. I hope the word encourages you and you get a touch from God that brings transformation and equips you to experience life with people, power, and purpose. Thank you for joining us. Enjoy the word. Oh, it's good to be here with you. I said I greeted you family. That's the way I do my church back home because I feel like this is my family as well. How many of you uh, are, we're meeting for the first time? Just raise your hand. This is the first time we've met. Okay, there's several out there. How many of you, this is not the first time? How many of you are here and you don't speak English yet? And you, okay, thank you. All right, two, okay. All right. It's so good to be here with you this morning. We're going to get into the Word here in just a minute. Enjoyed myself immensely with the men's meeting. I enjoy those meetings so very much. Had a great time. What a great group of guys that were here as well. And uh, it's my honor to be here today. But today is kind of, if you give me just a moment, today's kind of a surreal day for me. It may just be another Sunday for you, the third or fourth Sunday in this building, but it's, it's really a, a surreal day for me. For those of you that we haven't met, let me just introduce myself just a tad bit. Uh, the first time I preached on this property, where there was a tent set up out here with plywood on the ground and, t- and chairs set on the plywood. And that was when Pastor Kim was here. I met him when he first started the church. We developed a relationship, and I started coming every year and speaking. And then uh, when 9-11 happened, the 9-11, I was asleep in the Best Western in Lake Lucille up here early that morning, and Ken called me. He said, do you have the TV on? I said, no. He said, turn it on. There's a national disaster. And I was here during that time. I preached in the barn. I had a Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday, and Tuesday meeting in the barn that, how many of you know what I'm talking about, the barn that's on the property here that on the video you saw them tearing down. I talked to Pastor Daniel the other day, and I said, uh, he said, you're probably right. Uh, I may be the only preacher that as of this morning has preached on this property in three different buildings. The tent, the barn, and now this incredible facility. So it's, it's kind of a surreal moment for me this morning. I've been on this property so many different times. It was a few years ago when preaching in the tent that uh, Ken said, uh, Pastor Morocco, I want you to go look at a building, see what you think about it. We drove up and looked at the building on Lucille. And uh, I called Dr. Morocco and I said, you ought to buy it. It'll put you ahead five years. And they bought it and sold this property. A few years ago, Pastor Daniel called and said, this property's for sale again. You think we should buy it? I said, if you don't, I'm, go- I'm going to, if you don't buy it. And, uh, and here we are today. I don't know how many times I've walked through this building and on this property with the concrete being poured and the steel going up and walking through with Wally. So good to see you all here this morning in the service. And my friend John over here and his wife Diana just walked through this building, got a tour again this past week. And just, just the amazing fact of being here, it's hard to conceptualize the amount of faith, the amount of fortitude the amount of vision, the amount of perseverance, the amount of patience, the amount of work and labor that's gone into you being able to sit in that cushiony seat right now. I think we ought to just stand up and give the Lord Jesus a great praise offering this morning that we're in this building today. Father, we bless you and thank you. We thank you for victory today. 
We rub it in the face of Satan himself and saying, you're a liar, you're defeated. We bless you. We honor you. We thank you for victory today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you for allowing me to share that this morning. Um, I want to share a message with you this morning. I simply entitle Overcoming Impossible Odds. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds this morning. Over the next few minutes, speak what you want spoken, I pray. Open the hearts of every individual, their minds to be clear, to receive the word of the Lord. Let faith rise to receive your word, God, and walk in the supernatural power of heaven. In every aspect of their lives, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You know, in 2007, there was a movie named 300. It was released in theaters across America. It was based on a 1998 comic series telling about a fictional story of a battle of an invading army of 300,000 and how 300 Spartans defeated them or defended their land. It was totally fictional. It didn't happen. It was just a movie. But there is a story in the Bible that's very similar to this one that did happen. It had much of the same dynamics. There was an invading army. We find that in Judges chapter 7, verse 12. The armies of Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east settled in the valley like a swarm of locusts. That's how many. They were like a swarm of locusts. The camels were like the grains of sand on the seashore, too many to count. Everybody say, that's a big army. And then there was a group of 300 who were going to defend against this army, but the group of 300 didn't start out with 300. And that's where we pick up the story of Gideon's 300 today. You see, Israel was being raided every year. The Midianites would come in when the crops were ready, the barley was ready, the wheat was ready, the cucumbers were ready, the tomatoes were ready. All, all of the things that uh, Pastor Kirsten planted was ready to harvest. And they came in and just picked every tomato he had in his house and, there, and every pepper that he had in his house and everything else he raised. And everything that you raised, they came in and just like, like locusts and took everything. And Israel was in a, in a place of starvation. In Judges 6, 5 through 6, we read this. Then these enemy hordes coming with their livestock in tents were as thick as locusts. They arrived on droves of camels, too numerous to count. They stayed until the land was stripped bare, and Israel was reduced to starvation. You know, as a response to their prayers to God, God raised up a leader. That's another story. His name was Gideon. But then God called him to raise up an army. So he recruited an army, and he recruited about 32,000 men to fight against the Midianites. And that's a lot of men, but compared to the army of the Midianites, it was still very small, but it was it's something unusual happened. Out of that story, we can extract some life lessons. And that's what we want to look at today. I want to ask you a question. Have you ever faced, have you ever faced a situation that seemed impossible in your life? Kind of wave at me if you have. Maybe you're facing one right now. I've got good news for you. There's a word from the Lord for you this morning about facing impossible situations. This was impossible. And I don't know if you realize it or not, but you're sitting in a building that was impossible. You're sitting in a building that, that if, you, if you understood some, just some of the major things that, that came up to inhibit and keep this building from being built and still facing challenges uh, to get everything finished. If you understood some of those things, you would know what I'm talking about today, that, that it's just absolutely an amazing feat of accomplishment that what looked like was impossible is now possible. 
But let's look at the story of Gideon and his army. The first thing I want you to notice is that God doesn't need, when we're facing something impossible, God doesn't need our power. He needs our obedience. I want to say that again. God doesn't need our power. He needs our obedience. You know, there's a little saying going around now, people saying, what's your superpower? What's your superpower? We see commercials. This is my superpower. There's all kind of marvels and comics and all these different uh, heroes and, and characters that they've developed. What's your superpower? I can fly through the air. I can blow lasers through the wall. I can have great strength. Let me tell you what my superpower is. It's showing up. That's my superpower. I show up every day. I'm, I'm, I'm not the greatest musician in the world. I'm not the greatest singer in the world. I'm not the greatest preacher in the world. I'm not the tallest guy in the world. I'm not the smartest guy in the world. I'm, I'm not the strongest preacher. I, I'm not the greatest theologian in the world. But I tell you what I can do every day of my life. I can get up and show up every day of my life. And when God says go do that, I may not have the power, but he doesn't need my power. He's got all the power in the universe. He doesn't need your power to solve that situation. He doesn't need your power to get through that. He doesn't need your power to save your neighborhood. He doesn't need your power to heal everybody in the country. He just needs your obedience. Just show up. Faithfulness. What a superpower that is. Turn to somebody and say, you have a superpower? Now, some of you could be a little more enthusiastic about that, I'm telling you. But we find in Judges chapter 7 that God said to Gideon, you've got too many warriors. Now, he's got 32,000. So he says, I'll tell you what you, you, you need to do. You, you need to because if you go win the battle with 32,000, you'll all say that you did it. And I want you to know that I'm going to do it. So he says, tell everybody who's timid and afraid that they can leave this mountain and go home. So 22,000 left. So there was 10,000 left to fight. Now, I'm sure Gideon was like, oh, Jesus, what are we going to do? Well, at least I've got 10,000. But then God had another idea. Now, when you grow from 32,000 to 10,000, that's called reverse church growth. Okay. That's not something you want to call headquarters about and tell them what's going on. You don't want to pick up the phone, call Dr. Morocco and say, you know, this Sunday, we really had a great service, but we lost 22,000 people. That's not something you want to do. That's what he's facing. And, and in the Judges 7, 4, the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many. Lord, I just got 10,000. And God says, but there's still too many. Now, let's put this into perspective. When you look further into Judges, chapter 8, verse 10, we read after the initial battle of Gideon's 300 that the army of the Midianites had 15,000 men left. 120,000 had been killed. So the original army was 135,000. When you take 135,000 against 10,000, the odds are 13.5 to 1. I don't think those are good odds. Do you? 13.5 to 1. Then God has Gideon to take the men down the stream of water. And he says, everybody that kneels down and laps like a dog, let them go home. But those that squat down and, and just get the water and, and, and drink out of their hands, keep them. Guess how many did that? 300. The rest of them went home. Now Gideon's got 300. Let's do the math. 135,300. That's 450 to 1. Everybody say impossible. Have you be ready to say we concede? You can come on and you can have my tomatoes, okay? I concede. But that's not what they did. 
You see, that would be considered impossible odds, and that's exactly what God was looking for. Because, you see, with impossible odds, God's able to show up, and there's no doubt that God caused it to happen. There's no doubt that God brought the victory in their lives. Impossible odds. See, this wasn't just about defeating an army. It was about revealing himself to Israel. It wasn't a statement of God's existence. It was a statement of his existence, his power, his care for those who are his. Listen, when you and I go through tough times, impossible situations in life, and I've lived life long enough to go through this myself a few times, when we go through things like that, it's, it's, sometimes we miss the big picture. It's not just about getting a victory. It's not just about overcoming. It's not just about getting through. It's not just about this. Sometimes it's just about God revealing himself to you in a very deep, precious way. Before I flew up here Friday, Friday morning I was at my church because I had a funeral at my church. Because 2 o'clock, 2.30 Monday morning, one of my staff, I have a couple on my staff. She's worked in my media department for over 25 years, and her husband's worked as, in maintenance and, and, and custodian for the last, I don't know, several years. And they've been friends. Their kids grew up with my kids. We've known them for 30 years plus. And she calls me at 2.30 Monday morning and said, Pastor, pray. Joy's having a heart attack. Paramedics are here. I said, is he conscious? She said, no. Before I got to the hospital, the doctors had pronounced him dead. 64 years old. Looked like he was in perfect health. Good-looking guy. Weight, weight lift, lifted weights. All of that. I did their funeral, and then I jumped on a plane and flew up here. But as I sat there and I looked at at his wife and his five adult kids, all super talented, intelligent. And she sits there with strength and stamina. And you, you, you're thinking about situations you've gone through in your life like this as well. And 1 Corinthians 13 says, we see through a glass dimly now, we don't see face to face. There's some things we just won't understand. And, and, and here's the thing about it. It's not about understanding, it's about trusting. When you face an impossible situation in your life, it's not about understanding all the details. It's not about getting closure. It's not about you having an answer for everybody. It's about trusting Him. It's about just saying, Lord, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just going to trust Him. When the Pharisees got, got the old boy that was, was, was blind and, and healed, and says, who was this that did this for you? What's his name? Where's his credentials? Who's he affiliated with? Is he, is he a Pharisee? He says, I, I, I don't even know his name. All I know is I was blind, and, and, now, I'm, and now I can see. See, that, that's, that's where it is. What happened? The presence of the Most High God makes a change in our life. God doesn't, God doesn't need our power. He needs our obedience. We show up when we're in pain. We show up when we hurt. We show up when we're confused. We show up when the enemy is attacking. But we show up. Because when we show up, he can release his power through our lives. It's like a vessel and an instrument. And God's just looking for somebody to show himself strong to. Are you with me here today? But then came the battle. Isaiah 59.9 says... For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, says the Lord, higher than your thoughts. God's plan always is better than our plan. You know why? Because it comes pre-blessed and pre-anointed. You don't have to pray for God to bless the plan you came up with. If you get the plan he has, it's already blessed. And by the way, it's already a winning plan. So here's what the plan was in Judges 7. 
He divided the 300 men into three groups and gave each man a ram's horn, a clay jar with a torch in it. And then he said to them, keep your eyes on me. And when I come to the edge of the camp, do just as I do. And as soon as, as I and those with me blow the ram's horn, blow your horns too. And all around the camp and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. And then all three groups blew their horns and broke their jars. And they held the blazing torches in their left hands and the horns in their right hands. And they shouted, and the sword of the Lord and for Gideon. Now here's the second life principle for us today. Not only does God, he doesn't need our power. He needs our, our, our purpose. He needs us to show up. He just needs our obedience. God gives us everything we need to fight to win. He gives us everything we need to fight and win. Let me show you what he gave them. Number one, he gave them the sword. Everybody say a sword. Now, a sword represents the power of God. Hebrews 4.12 says, The word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than a two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow, exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Ephesians 6.17 says to put on the helmet of, of salvation and take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You know, when I was a little boy in church, uh, they taught me this song. The B-I-B-L-E, that's the book for me. I stand upon the Word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. I want you to know it's still the book for me, the B-I-B-L-E, because it's, it's not, it doesn't just contain the Word of God. It is the Word of God. It's life. It's health. It's spirit. It's, 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 it's alive. It has the ability to transform and change life. Jesus, John 1, 14 says, the, the Word became life and dwelt among us. Jesus is the living Word. You can't separate Jesus from, from His Word. It's still the book for me. It's the Word of God. Listen, your faith level will never be above your Word level. If all you ever get is Sunday morning, it's going to be great because this is a great church and Pastor Bracken and the staff are great communicators and preachers. But every day, you, you need the Word of God. The Word of God in your heart. To hide it in your heart. To believe the Word of God in your heart. Have you ever heard of the Brownsville Revival? Anybody ever heard of that? The Brownsville Revival. Evangelist Steve Hill. What you may not know is Steve Hill, uh, he was a drug addict, and he was sent to, uh, instead of going to prison, they let him go to Teen Challenge uh, Ministry for, for Drug Addicts. And they sent him to the Teen Challenge Center that's just five miles north of Cape Girardeau, where I live, my church. I serve on the board of that Teen Challenge uh, 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 group there, that group. And uh, he, this was before my time he came there. And, and a man in my church who was the choir director for Teen Challenge mentored him. And Steve got saved there and filled the Holy Ghost there and sent out from ministry there and trained. And then years later, Steve, Steve was led that great revival. And then Steve battled cancer and eventually passed away with cancer. But he had kind of a, during the last year of his life, he kind of had a resurgence in strength. And he called me, he says, Gary, can I come to Cape Girardeau and speak? I said, Steve, you named the day. He said, I can come this Sunday. I said, we'll part the waters. You come, buddy. And he came, and he preached that Sunday morning. He preached Sunday night. He'd laid hands on people for, for as long as the people were holding him up while he was praying for people. But one of the things he said in his message was this. And he read it in an excerpt, and he gave it to me. I have it in a Bible that he gave to me. 
And it was an excerpt from a large charismatic church in Dallas, Texas. And the pastor's church of several thousand. He was, he was teaching, he was, he was, I don't know what he was preaching about, but, but he made this comment. He said, you know, they say we need to read our Bibles and we need to pray. That's all legalism. We live under grace today. You don't need to read your Bible. You don't need to spend time and pray. I don't. That's like in marriage counseling for me to sit with a couple and look at the man and say, you don't need to talk to your wife. And he says, yes, you don't, you don't need to take her out to eat. You don't, need to, you don't need to spend any time with her. You don't even need to come home at night. It's okay. We live under grace. How many of you ladies would think that'd be a good idea? I see that hand back there. Okay. I'll pray for you later. Or your husband. I'm going to pray for your husband later. How ridiculous is that? It's not legalism for me to talk to my wife. It's not legalism for me to hug and kiss on my wife. It's not legalism for me to want to be with my wife. It's love. It's relationship. And the Word of God is the key to relationship with the Most High God. You want to live in victory. You want to live in power. Live, Get in love with His Word and love with Him. And the sword of the Lord is your leading edge of battle when you face the impossible in your life. You'll never win a spiritual battle if you don't have a word from the Lord. And, Matt, and then he says he has light. And they had this torch down in a, in a vase, a pitcher, they called it. Well, the, the pitcher wasn't the issue. That was hiding it so they could stealthily get in position with this light so that the enemy didn't see it. And so at the appropriate time, they would break the pitcher, get the torch out, and hold it up with their left hand. So the second thing that God gave them was light. Matthew 5, 16 says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Another scripture says a city on a hill cannot be hidden because you see the lights. As we were driving in from the airport to Friday night, it's going through uh, Eagle, what is it, Eagle? Eagle River, yeah, Eagle River. Up on the, I could see all the lights of the towns, the city, you know, the houses up on the mountains. It's so beautiful. You can't hide that with a light on, okay? God put this building, this church on a hill coming into Wasilla so the Word of God could not be hidden here and cannot be hidden in Alaska. It's, it's a testimony. And don't you know the devil hates it? The devil wants you on the back street somewhere, hidden somewhere, so you don't have a cross out here that every person that drives through here sees the cross when they come up through here. And they see this church sitting here as a monument to the believers of God, the faith of God, the people of this church. He doesn't want to see that. That's why he's fought it so much. He doesn't care if the light is down in a valley and it's covered up. But you move up on the highway, you move up on the hill, and that's where all hell breaks loose to try to stop it. But that's where the light of the gospel comes in. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. And the second thing he gave them was a light. When they broke those pictures and they held that light up, all around that ridge, the, ro the rim of that, uh, of that hill around the valley where they camped, it looked like it all lit up around there like there were thousands of troops coming after them. God has given us light. He's given you light. He's given a testimony. The third thing was the horn, the ram's horn. This is also called the shofar in Hebrew. It's a trumpet made of a ram's horn or a kudu horn. The ram's horn represents spiritual warfare. Joel 2.1 says, blow the trumpet in Zion. Blow the shofar in Jerusalem. A sound alarm in my holy mountain. Numbers 10, 9 says, when you go to war 
in your land against the enemy who has oppressed you. Then you shall sound an alarm with the trumpets, and you will be remembered before the Lord your God, and you will be saved from your enemies. 2 Corinthians 10, 4, New Living Translation says, We use God's mighty weapons, not, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. God has given each of us the weapons to win every battle we face. You say, well, I, I, don't, I don't have a shofar. I, I don't have a ram's horn. Do I, do I need to go get one? No, no, that's not what I'm saying. This, this is a declaration. It is a call to action. It's a call. It's a prayer as we declare the word of the Lord. Listen, the weapons of our warfare are not the weapons of this world. When you look around the landscape of the world right now, <laughs> it doesn't look real good. Fear could rise up. All kinds of things are happening. We could possibly on, be on the wor verge of a World War III right now. I just had last Sunday in my church with me, in my pulpit, uh, Bishop Edward Gravavinko, a good friend of mine from Russia, and telling me uh, behind the scenes what's going on there and the challenge the churches are facing there. He oversees an organization over 5,000 churches. And, and, and telling me the challenge they're facing. I got my, my pastor friends in Ukraine. I've been there 21 times and, 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 and help, helping them and the challenges they're facing and what they're doing. One of them's church is just blown to pieces. And, and everything that they're dealing with there and all the problems we see, what's happening in America. And I don't want to get political, but if you think everything in America is going smooth right now, bless your heart. That's all I can say about you right now. We, we got a lot of challenges right now, but there's always challenges. There's always problems on planet earth. There's always wars and rumors of wars. There always has been. You know why? Because there's a devil that wants to steal, kill, and destroy. But there's a God that brings life and that more abundantly for us. So blow your trumpet. Don't, 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 don't talk about Jesus. Yes, talk about Jesus. Don't talk about the Holy Ghost. Oh, yes, talk about the Holy Ghost. Don't, don't stop back. Don't stand back. Don't bow down. Don't stand over. Like the three Hebrew kids said, look, look, we, we're not bowing down and worship. You're the goofy idol, okay? And, and God will save us. But if he doesn't, we're still not going to. See, we got to have that attitude as Christians today. We, we've got to kind of get our backs a little stiff and say, I'm going to let my light shine. I'm going to blow my trumpet. So you don't like my trumpet blowing. I'm sorry, but I'm called to the Lord to sound the alarm in the holy mountain. Thank you. I'm going to tell you, God has given you every weapon that you need to win. There's one more. One more. He said, you know, when you, when you, when you you break that pitcher and you hold that, you hold that light up and you blow that shofar, you blow that horn, then I want you to shout, the sword of the Lord and Gideon. The fourth thing that God gives you that we overlook so many times is a shout. Anybody ever shouted at anything? Yeah, this morning on the way in, I shouted at somebody in the car. Anybody ever shouted at anything? You shouted at your dog running across, or you shouted at your children. You shouted, you shouted because your team just hit a winning goal. You shouted because uh, you're mad. You shouted because you're glad. You shouted because you're happy. Mark eleven twenty three says, "For surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be thou removed and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart." but believes that those things which this says will be done, he will have whatever he says. 
Now, I appreciate all types of prayer, but hear me. Jesus did not say whoever meditates toward this mountain. Jesus did not say whoever gets together and holds hands and has silent prayer around this mountain. There's nothing wrong with meditating. The Bible tells us to meditate on the Word of God. There's nothing wrong with having silent prayer. But there is a time in your life where you reach deep in your pocket and you pull out the weapon of the shout. And you just stand up and you look at that mountain and you shout at that mountain. Well, uh, Pastor, I, uh, I, I just don't get really emotional about anything. You're a liar. Every one of us gets emotional about something. Every one of us gets emotional about something. I have guys come to my church. They sit there during the worship like this. I don't get emotional. And they go to St. Louis Cardinals game, and they paint half their face red. <laughs> Take their shirt off, and they got stripes painted across here, and they're going, Hey! Right. Now, you just get emotional about what you love. It's one of the dumbest things that Christians say, a certain group of Christians, when they say, oh, we don't believe in emotionalism. Listen, what they're saying is we don't believe in love. Because the same group will say, God is love. Well, if you love something, you're going to be emotional about it. I love my wife. I have emotion with my wife. Get emotional. We're coming up uh, this month, 49th wedding anniversary. This month, 49th. Yeah. I, I'm emotional about I love my wife. FaceTimed her last night. She kept three of our grandkids all day long yesterday. She's ready to go to bed. We met in the first grade. I was five, she was six. She was an older woman. I was always attracted to older women. <laughs> Known her since I'm five years old. I'm emotional because I love my wife. And I'm supposed to go to church? So, well, I'm just not emotional about With the God who is love yeah. and the God who's so loved that he gave his only begotten son, that Jesus hung on the cross, said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And I, don't ha I can't have emotion about that. Get out of my way. You don't have a clue about the love of God. I'm emotional about my children. I'm emotional about my grandchildren. And I'm emotional about my Savior, Jesus Christ. See, that, that's where the shout comes in. Now, we don't have to get loud in church. No, you don't have to. You don't have to hold your wife's hand either. You don't have to be nice. You don't have to do a lot of things. But if you want to, you see, if it's real on the inside, it's not a have-to thing. It's just what I do. Well, you know, Pastor, you don't have to shake my hand. I don't have to do anything. I shake your hand because I love you. I care about you. I want to say hi today. They had a shout. They stood up there and they shouted. What if they didn't shout? What if they broke the pictures, pitchers, and they picked up the torch, they held it up, they blew the horn, they blew the horn, they're waving, the, and they didn't shout. 
I don't think the battle would have gone as well. But when they lifted, men lifting up their voices. Now, not, not, I don't mean this in the wrong way, ladies, but there was 300 men. And 300 men lifted up their voices. The Lord, the sword of the Lord, and Gideon. As it echoed down through that valley, 300 men yelling that over and over again, waving those torches, blowing those ram's horns. And God used their obedience to confuse the 135,000 soldiers in their tents. And the Bible says they started attacking each other. They were so confused, so scared. These were trained soldiers. They never, they never ever experienced anything like this. They started attacking each other and killed 120,000. Now, there's still 15,000 left. And there's still only 300 on the hillside. If those 15,000 got a grip, they still could have won the battle. But they didn't. You know what? They took off running. And guess what the 300 did? They took off running after them. I don't know about you. I'd been like, uh, let them go. That's all right. I mean, that's, that's, we, we got to win. Let's just, yeah, hey, let's just. We're good, Gideon. No, they took off after them and began to kill them off. See, that's what happens when you take a stand, when you give God your obedience. That's all he needs. And you use the weapons that he's given you. You just use what he's given you. That, that, that's, that's all you, then, then the enemy's on the run. When the enemy's on the run, I'm not going to walk all the way over there. When the enemy's on the run, you can pick them off one at a time. See, you're at the advantage now. They're running away. What are you facing today? What are you dealing with today? What's in your heart and life today that, you know, some of you are facing some major, it's like this is impossible. I, I don't know. Like my sister back home this morning. You know, after being married 30 some years, she's almost 40 years now, she's sleeping in the bed by herself for the first time. Her husband, who everybody loved, he, he was just one of those guys. Big smile, laugh, long blonde hair, ponytail. Rode a motorcycle. He was a combination of the Fonz on Happy Days and Mr. Rogers. That, that's what he was. Everybody loved him. You'd love him if you'd made him a big smile. I tried to put on a tough exterior, but they, all the kids would run up to him, call him Papa. He, he just, he's gone. What do you do? You show up. You get up the next day. And you say, there's a God in heaven. Yep. And by the way, I never give the devil credit for anything. Because Jesus said, where I am, there you can be also. Paul said to be absent from bodies of presence of the Lord. If you've lost a loved one in your life and they knew Jesus, they're doing okay. This life is short. It's, it's, it's like this on the timeline of eternity. We place so much emphasis on this time here. 
It's slipping away. Maybe you're facing something. You, you need to stand at that mountain and say, mountain, devil, you're not going to have my children. I don't care what they're doing right now, the pain they're in right now, the difficulties they're in right now, the dumb decisions they're making right now. The word of the Lord says, if I put the God in their hearts, if they're trained up with their little, when they're old, they won't depart from it. And I'm telling you, devil, right now, you can't have my children. I don't have all the answers to sickness and disease. I don't understand all of that. I, I, I don't, but I know one thing. He is the Lord God that healeth thee, and I'm never going to quit declaring his word. I'm never going to define God by my experience. I'm going to define him by his word. When you begin to define God by your experience, you begin to bring him down to the natural life that you and I live in, and that's where most church people are. They bring God down to where they live. You cannot bring him down. Lift him up. Pick up the word of God, the sword of the Lord, and begin to declare the word of the Lord over your life. He's the Lord God that heals me. He's Jehovah Shalom. He's my peace that passes all understanding. He's my shepherd and I won't lack any good thing in my life. He's my righteousness. He's my soon coming king. He's, he's the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end. He'll never leave me. He'll never forsake me. See, when you begin to look at that mountain and begin to speak the word of the Lord to that mountain, that mountain has to come in line with the word of God. Or you can just sit back and say, oh, Jesus. I sure wish you would do something. He wants to. But he responds by faith. And when the words come out of your mouth, you're releasing faith words for the Holy Spirit to ignite and move in power. God doesn't need my and your ability. He just needs our obedience. And he has every weapon that we need. Every weapon. But you have to use the weapon. You have to use it. You have to use it. We're in Alaska. I love hunting. I grew up hunting on the farm. My grandfather, the only recreation he did, he worked in the coal mines and farmed, and, but he had bird dogs, so he hunted quail. And so he taught me to hunt squirrels and rabbits and quail as a little boy. I had to put the gun under my arm. It's too long, shotgun, and shoot it. That's a seven. I have a grandson that's 11 now. I started him out as early as I could. I shot my first deer. I think I was 29. We, we, didn't, we didn't have hardly any in Kentucky at that time, and they've repopulated. My grandson's 11. He's killed 10 deer. And this past week we were, or past month, like past season, we were in a blind at it was early in the morning and just, just enough daylight and this buck came out running out of the woods across the field and he only had seconds. And I, I made a noise real loud to stop the deer and the deer stopped for a second and he had like three seconds to reposition. He was facing the other way to turn around, shoulders rifle, and get the deer in the sights and pull the trigger. The deer stopped for a second and started walking again. He took a couple of steps and I heard boom and he dropped. And I was in shock. I got my rangefinder out and ranged at 185 yards. He was 10 years old at the time. That's my boy. But you know, he could have watched that deer walk in the woods. 
He could just lift the rifle. He didn't have the rifle in his lap. It was laying against the thing there. He, 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 could have, he could have just watched it. And it's gone. You, you got to pick it up. You got to pick up the sword. Are you hearing me? You got to pick up the sword. You, you, you got to pick that Bible up. You, you got to pick, let me borrow your Bible. You, you, you got to pick it up. You got to get in it. The psalmist said, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. You having sin problem? You facing battles and temptation? Get the word of God on the inside of you. Okay? It not only convicts you, but it gives faith to overcome stuff. Now, I could just go on and on with this message this morning. My time's about up. But are you getting anything today? You, you see, you, you, you don't have, you, your superpower is showing up. Your superpower is obedience. But I hadn't been to Bible college. I hadn't either. Just show up, okay? Well, I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. what I don't know. I, well, stop that. Can you, you get up every morning, don't you? All right. Didn't you, most of you have coffee or something? Just show up. Well, I, I don't know what I can do in the church. Fill a seat. Sit down on one of them. And watch what God does in your life and does through you. Do, do, just show up, just show up, and then pick up those, pick that up. Pick up the word of the Lord. Let your light shine. You say, I, I can't witness. Will you invite somebody to church? If you, if I tell people, look, if you, can't, if you can't tell anybody about Jesus, you get tongue-tied, just tell us, I'll tell you what, well, I'll come to my church, my preacher will tell you about it. I say, get them there, I'll tell them about it, he's okay. We'll work together on it. Let your light shine. I'm talking about overcoming impossible odds this morning. And no matter whether it's an individual situation in your life or whether it's corporately in the church family, whatever it may be, there's always something going on that gives us a challenge to apply the Word of God in our lives and in our families. Do you believe that today? I said, do you believe that today? If you really believe it today, give the Lord a great shout here this morning. Just thank Him in this place today. Lord, we praise you, we bless you, we thank you, Father, so very much, God. We just welcome your presence here today. Thank you so very, very much. We bless you, Lord, we bless you, Lord, we bless you, Lord, we bless you, Lord, we bless you, Lord. There may be people here this morning that maybe you're not right with God. It's not a condemning statement, it's just a practical statement. We're all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, the Bible says, and we all need a Savior. And you're here today because you're hungry especially at 8 o'clock in the morning. There's something, there's something drawing you on the inside. There's some reason you're here. And that's because the Holy Spirit is drawing you to the Father. And if you're sitting here right now and you're not right with God or you're watching online somewhere and you're not right with God, you can be. You're never more than one simple, sincere prayer away from the loving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'd like the opportunity to lead you in that prayer this morning. Would you just bow your heads right now? This is just the way I do it. I like just shut everything else out, just you and God. Just shut everything else out. Don't worry about who's sitting next to you, what's going on. And I want to ask you this question. Do you know that you know that you know that Jesus is the Lord of your life? And if you don't, do you want to? I want to lead you in a simple prayer right where you sit today. I'm not coming back to where you are. I'm not going to ask you to come up here to me. I just want to lead you to where he is. If you don't know that you know that Jesus is the Lord of your life, I want to pray with you right now. I'm going to ask you to do one thing. It's a step of faith. If you're serious about God, you'll do it. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. But this, if you say, Pastor, include me in that prayer. That's me. And it isn't for me. It's for you. But I'm going to ask you when I count to three to simply just lift your hand up. 
In doing so, you're saying, I need you, Jesus. This is my moment. This is time. I know, I know, I recognize I need the Lord Jesus in my life. Are you ready? One, two, three. Just slip those hands up. God bless you. Yes, 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 yes. Anyone else? Yes, yes. Anyone else? All right, let's pray. If you raise your hand, pray this loud enough to hear yourself. And family, let's do what you do every week, I'm sure, here. Let's help them. Say, dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for reaching out to me. And today, Jesus, I'm reaching back. I ask you now to come into my heart and life. Forgive me of my sins and change my life forever. I believe you're the only son of God who died on a cross for me, who rose from the dead for me, who's reaching out to me right now. I give you my life, Jesus. All my hopes and dreams, all my hurts and pains, I lay them at the cross, and I receive you, Jesus, as my Lord and Savior. I boldly say, with my new faith, I am forgiven, born again, saved and I'll never 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 be the same again in Jesus name amen and amen let's give those folks a great congratulations here this morning would you now Holy Spirit seal that in their hearts and lives may the word of the Lord grow in their lives so they become a powerful child of the Most High God to live every day for you in victory, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I hope you were encouraged by God's word. Thank you again for listening to King's Alaska podcast. God bless you. For more great content, go to kcalaska.com. And may God's face shine upon you and give you peace.